So we had a bit of a recap of Ruth chapter 2 earlier. I'm going to give you a second recap, just uh, so we all know where we are. I don't envy Charlie, who had to preach on the story, not giving the end of the story. But today, as we move into Ruth chapter 2, we begin to see how things start to work out. It's true, at the end of chapter 1, we have the question, what's going to happen to Ruth and Naomi as they head back to Bethlehem? We met Ruth and Naomi in Moab. They had both become widows. Naomi had lost her husband and then her two sons. And Ruth had lost her husband, one of the sons of Naomi. They were in an economically precarious situation. They were poor. They, They had no one to provide for them. And so Naomi takes this decision to go back to Bethlehem. And Ruth decides to go with her. Two women then. Two women in many ways very different from different generations. One was older, one was younger. One from an Israelite culture, one from a Moabite culture. Both had a different spiritual experience, but they were united by a common experience of tragedy and grief. United in facing up to a common dilemma, poverty and destitution and vulnerability. They were also united by the decision to go back to Bethlehem. And I would suggest that going back to Bethlehem was an expression of some kind of trust or hope that God would do something about it. It's true that Naomi had become bitter and maybe her faith was a bitter faith, a hesitant faith, a desperate faith. I would suggest to you that there was faith there. And the question we need to ask ourselves today from Ruth chapter 2 the question that hangs at the end of Ruth chapter 1 is is God trustworthy? Will he prove that he is faithful and kind? And how will he go about doing that? Through my ministry which is a teaching ministry to Africa French speaking Africa through radio Uh, we have contact on the ground in Africa where this type of situation is very, very common. Where women lose their husbands to AIDS, to malaria, to ethnic or religious violence. There are huge numbers of widows and orphans in Africa today. What hope do they have? Can we offer them a God who is trustworthy? How does God prove that he is faithful and trustworthy. But closer to home we have our own problems. Today maybe you're feeling weighed down by afflictions, suffering the pain of some kind of loss, suffering the pain of ill-judged decisions, of destructive behaviour. In our own land we still face up to sickness and death. There is homelessness, there is economic uh, problems, unemployment. And we've heard that God is supposed to be faithful and kind and loving. Will he prove that he is trustworthy and faithful? And how does he do it today? These are the kinds of questions that we can begin to answer from Ruth chapter 2, and which as we move into Ruth in chapter 3 and 4, 
those answers will be developed. It's interesting that in the four chapters of Ruth we have the same kind of uh, narrative pattern. In each chapter someone goes out and then they come back and in between time something significant happens. In the first chapter, Naomi goes out from Bethlehem reasonably happy. Okay, there's famine in the land, but she has a husband, she has two sons, and they go and live in Moab. And then Naomi returns to Bethlehem, and she says she is empty. No longer a husband, no longer any sons, she has no means of providing for herself. She does seem to overlap that Ruth is a very kind and faithful daughter-in-law. Um, but that's when, when our thinking becomes bitter and distorted, we do kind of overlook some of the good things in our lives. So that was over the time scale of maybe a decade or more. Then Ruth chapter 2, it all happens in one day. But Ruth goes out in the morning. You can say she is empty. She is poor. She doesn't know where the next meal's coming from, maybe. But then in the evening, we've, we've heard she comes back full up, so much drain on her back that it must have been difficult to carry. 22 litres of grain. According to the commentaries, one ether, 22 litres of grain. Ruth goes out empty and she comes back full. And the narrative proceeds in this manner in chapter 3 and 4, where again there's a going out and a coming back and Ruth and Naomi, their lives just get better and better. So the answer is, God proves to Ruth and Naomi that he is a faithful and a trustworthy God. How does he do this? I want to propose this morning three lessons or three ways in which God proves to Ruth and Naomi and to ourselves that he is faithful and trustworthy. The first is through providence. Providence. We read that Ruth just happened to end up in Boaz's field when she goes out to glean. And this must be understood in terms of God's providence in the sovereign outworking of his kind and gracious intentions towards Ruth and Naomi. Whilst it isn't explicitly said in the text that God arranged for Ruth to go to Boaz's field, when we understand the mentality of the Israelites and the way they wrote, they didn't just write, as it turned out, as it happened. They didn't understand that to be chance or coincidence. They understood that to be God's providence. God working things out. God's personal involvement in their lives, turning events in their favour. And then when we return to verse 20... Um, Naomi exclaims the Lord bless him Naomi said to her daughter-in-law he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead this man is our close relative he's one of our guardian redeemers so even Naomi who was maybe bitter feeling bad feeling sorry for herself, recognises that what has happened this day is through God's kindness and his providential involvement in their lives. And we see from this moment on that Naomi's 
her spirits, her emotions seem to pick up and become rather more positive. So chance and coincidence aren't really biblical concepts. God is able to control events in such a way as he works out his good intentions, his faithful intentions and purposes for our lives without overriding our choices and our decisions. Now this remains a a mystery which even the best of theologians haven't fully resolved. We need to learn to recognise at one and the same time that God is sovereign and he works out his providence in our lives at the same time as we are making decisions and choices. But at this critical moment in Ruth and Naomi's life, God arranged an encounter which would change the whole course of events, which would change their lives for the better and give them so much more than they could have ever have dreamed of. And it's worth noting as well, because maybe we have the idea that God's providence only works for the big people in the Bible. That we see in the lives of Moses and David and Paul and people like that. But here in the book of Ruth, we see God's providence at work in the lives of ordinary people like you and me. Ruth and Naomi were ordinary folk, but they benefited from God's providence. In God's eyes, we are individuals and he is involved in our lives in a very personal and individual way, working out things in our favour according to his faithful purposes. The second way in which God proves that he is trustworthy you can see my alliteration skills need improving. Breaks down slightly. Welfare provision. And we need to understand that welfare provision was enshrined in Israel's law under Moses. And one aspect of this law is immediately irrelevant. Uh, we can read it in Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 and 10 where we read Leviticus chapter 19, 9 and 10. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. And this uh, command is repeated in Leviticus chapter 23 and Deuteronomy chapter 14. And so we learn that those who were destitute and vulnerable had the right to go into people's fields where the harvest had taken place and to pick up any grain that had been inadvertently left behind or missed. And this was a way in which their very basic needs of finding food to eat would be provided for. It's interesting, this legal provision is specifically made out for widows and orphans and foreigners. And these were probably the people who were most likely to be without land in Israel. 
Now we're not absolutely sure, but it's likely that when Elimelech and Naomi left Bethlehem, they probably sold their fields to someone else. So Naomi and Ruth were landless and in an agricultural society had no way of providing for their needs. But there was this law which said they could go into people's fields and pick up the leftovers. Now we don't know whether, or I don't know, don't know if anyone knows, whether other ancient countries had laws similar to this or whether this law may have influenced Naomi in her decision to go back to Bethlehem. That's total speculation. But we do know that Israel's law allowed for basic welfare provision. So what can we learn from that? Well, God revealed these laws to Moses and so these laws must reflect in some way the character and nature of God. We must conclude then that God has a heart, a concern for people who find themselves in precarious situations, in vulnerable circumstances, whether it's people who are very poor, whether it's people who find themselves alone and unsupported. God is in his very nature a God who is compassionate and kind and understanding, a loving God. And these laws reflect that love for the poor. We also learn that God doesn't limit his compassion just to his chosen people of Israel, but his compassion and kindness goes beyond uh, the Israelites to include the foreigners and the outsiders. And so if today you are hesitatingly placing your trust in God, this is the kind of God that we invite you to come to. A God who is understanding of whatever you're going through. A God who is compassionate and kind. A God who is the God of the outsider as well as the insider. He's not parochial or introspective, but he's an open-hearted and welcoming God. Now, people become poor and needy for all kinds of different reasons. Sometimes because of ill-judged decision-making. Sometimes for reasons entirely beyond their control. Whatever the case, it's part of God's will and his heart that their basic needs be provided for. Now, at this point, I don't want to get too political in a day of austerity when the welfare state is under review and where, sadly, there may be undercurrents of bad feelings towards foreigners. These issues need to be debated in a mature way, but I suggest that as Christians, our involvement must be to defend a position whereby the very neediest have their needs met in some way. And it's true that over the centuries, Christians have been at the forefront of charitable work, of humanitarian work, and of welfare reform. That's always been the case, but we kind of seem to have been maybe overtaken in our own day. And we can ask ourselves how, as a church, we can be at the forefront of giving this kind of care to people in our own society. 
that when people find themselves in crisis for whatever reason, God desires that their needs be met. This is the kind of God in whom we place our trust. Finally, God provides for Ruth and and Naomi a kind or a good person. You may be aware that the book of Ruth reflects or was written uh, about a period in Israel's history which is at the same time as the book of Judges. And we know that the book of Judges portrays Israel in a very dark, negative light. And we read at the end of the book of Judges that everyone uh, just did as he saw fit. And so it's interesting that in the book of Ruth we see Boaz and he's the kind of ideal, exemplary Israelite. Now we know that Judges wasn't it wasn't all bad times, but there was kind of ebbs and flows when, when sometimes things were better and sometimes they were worse. But we shouldn't generalise about the state of the whole people at that time. And Boaz is an example that we shouldn't tar everyone with the same brush. So it just so happened that Ruth went to glean in the field of Boaz and that Boaz was a good person. God wanted to provide Ruth and Naomi with a good person who would look after them. I want to suggest as well, though, that Boaz didn't just respect the law of Israel at this time, but he went over, well over and above what would normally be expected of him in his kindness and his grace and his goodness. just want to illustrate that in several ways now. Firstly, it's true that the law taught that one should love your neighbour. Now, Naomi would have been considered to be a neighbour, but Ruth was a Moabitess, and sadly at that time, Moabites were considered as enemies. It wasn't Naomi who went into the field, it was Ruth who went into the field. Boaz goes beyond loving a neighbour. He actually loves his enemy. And part of loving an enemy is not treating a person according to prejudices and stereotypes. People could have said, oh, Ruth the Moabites, let's reject her. She's an enemy. Nothing good can come from Moab. But no, Boaz has heard about her. He says, Okay, Moabs, they might be enemies, but Ruth is a loyal daughter-in-law and I'm going to treat her differently. Boaz didn't treat Ruth according to the prejudices and stereotypes. He met her as an individual and a real person in need. He went beyond what would normally be expected and normally seen in Israel at the time. Next, Boaz learnt that Ruth had been gleaning in the fields and as a landowner, he might just have thought, okay, that's all right, that's allowed and taken no further interest. He may also have thought, well, that's a bit of a nuisance because I'm going to lose out a bit here and maybe I'll try and arrange things to discourage her. But no, once again, Boaz goes way beyond what would normally be expected 
and what the law required. How? First of all, he makes sure that Ruth stays safe. He tells her to stay in his fields and tells his own men how to watch over her and that they better watch out to behave correctly with her. It's sad to say that even in our own day and age, be in Africa, also in England, that widows, orphans, particularly females, are very vulnerable and can be the target of unscrupulous, exploitative and abusive men. But not all men are the same, and Boaz was different, and Boaz was concerned to keep Ruth safe from any harm. He goes beyond what normally would be expected of him. And then we learn that Boaz allows Ruth to eat at the same table as the other workers, to drink from the same water jars. Once again, we meet with a kind man who goes beyond what would normally be expected of him. Ruth would have needed rest and food and water. Boaz knew that and he allowed her to eat at the same table as his workers. And yes, there's more. Boaz actually tells his workers to deliberately leave behind ears of corn or barley that could easily be picked up by Ruth. And at the end of the day, Ruth goes home with a whole ether of grain, which I'm told is about 22 litres. I don't know how much flour you can get from that, but it sounds to me you could get an awful lot of flour from it and feed yourself for quite some time. This was an extremely good day's gleaning. As Naomi's surprise reveals, where on earth did you get all that from? Well, it's because Boaz had been kind and generous towards Ruth. God had provided Ruth and Naomi with a good and a kind man who took their welfare, their well-being to heart. And in this way, God proves himself to be trustworthy. At the end of the chapter, we learn that uh, Boaz was actually what's called a kinsman or guardian redeemer, which actually means he's going to do an awful lot more for Ruth and Naomi. I'm not going to tell you what, because that would steal from the next person's contribution. But in Boaz, God had proved himself to be trustworthy. You can rightly ask, where is Boaz today? Who has God given for me? Through whom does God prove to us that he is kind and gracious and faithful and trustworthy? I would suggest that God has provided someone even better than Boaz. God has provided someone even kinder than Boaz, someone more generous than Boaz, someone more self-sacrificial than Boaz, someone more merciful than Boaz. But in actual fact, this person is a descendant of Boaz. Most of you will know who I'm talking about. God has provided Jesus. God has given Jesus to us. 
And whenever you read the four Gospels which show us the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we cannot, be, we cannot leave them without being struck by his compassion and his kindness and his grace and his mercy. God, rather Jesus, was compassionate to those who were vulnerable and those who were outcasts in his own society whether they were the lepers and others afflicted by sickness or disability or demon possession. Jesus showed compassion to the bereaved. Jesus showed compassion to those who had messed up their lives through ill-judged decisions and bad behaviour, whether it be the prostitute, whether it be those caught up in adultery, whether it be corrupt and dishonest tax collectors. Yes, Jesus even showed compassion to those who were trapped in a legalistic and judgmental religious system. Jesus showed kindness and compassion to the rich and to the poor, to the religious and the irreligious, to men and to women, to Jew and to Gentile, to the insiders and the outsiders, to his neighbours and to his enemies. And Jesus was not only a man of compassion, and kindness and grace but just like Boaz but in a whole lot better way he was also a redeemer Jesus was and remains a redeemer once again I hope that the person doing it next week will explain what a redeemer is suffice to say to say now that a redeemer is someone who rescues someone else from a desperate situation He's someone who rescues us from our impossible predicaments and someone who is ready to pay the price to do that, ready to make the sacrifice necessary to make this rescue possible, to restore to a, per a person to the realm and fellowship with God. Yes, Boaz was a kind and compassionate man, but he was just a shadow of the kindness and the compassion and faithfulness that we see in Jesus. Boaz was a redeemer, but again, just a shadow, a reflection of the true redemption that we find in Jesus. My friends, you can place your trust wholly in Jesus, because in him, God has given you a kind, a compassionate, and gracious redeemer or saviour. You'll be right to ask, though, how do I meet this Jesus? Where do I find this kindness? And this is where there is maybe quite a challenge for most of us. See, Jesus is alive, he is reigning, but in the heavenly realms. How does he express his kindness today? I would suggest that he does so principally through spirit-filled believers through people who trust in Jesus who will be as distinct from our contemporaries as Boaz may have been different from other Israelites in his time. People will meet the kindness and compassion of Christ when they meet kindness and compassion in Christian believers. when we rise up to the challenge or the responsibility of being 
loving and faithful and kind in our own neighbourhoods, in our own workplaces, in our own families, then others will learn that God as well is kind and compassionate. We as a church and as individual believers, are we able to show kindness while putting aside prejudices and stereotypes that so often colour and spoil our relationships? Whether it be from people from other countries, whether it be from our own countrymen who are different in some way. Are we as a church and as individuals ready in our kindness to provide a safe environment to those coming amongst us? And are we ready to show that surprising, unexpected, faithful love and generosity that is perhaps distinct and different from that which we may find from the world around? And so as we conclude, I would suggest that Ruth chapter 2 kind of gives us two invitations. Firstly, it draws us in to show us that God is trustworthy. We can trust God. God is kind and gracious and compassionate. But it then sends us out. It sends us out with that challenge to be kind and compassionate just like Boaz. To be kind and compassionate like Jesus so that others around us may see that God does make a difference and that God is trustworthy.